Psalm chapter 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But to know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, the Lord hears me when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when they are when they have their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This morning we continue our series um, in the church in Revel, churches in regarding in Revelation. It's the second church we're looking at, the church of Smyrna. If you haven't opened up your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to open them up to Revelation chapter 2. While you're turning there, I was having some reflections on things this morning being a grand day for football. And, and I know, you guys get tired of me here, you know, I, I get it. But guess, good news is, this is the last football game for quite a while. So the, this is the good news and bad news in our family. It's, it's good news for my family, bad news for me, because I go into a, a little bit of mourning, because I'm basically a two-season guy. I'm a, I'm a football season guy, and I'm a waiting for football season guy. So I'm, I'm about ready to go into that waiting for football season. It was interesting this morning as I was thinking about this passage, and you're like, where in the world is this connection going to happen? But we'll get there. And I, I began to search... Top NCAA football championships that, that weren't deserved. And there's one that stands out, okay? In 1997, the juggernauts, Nebraska football, was rolling quite along. And I'm a big Nebraska fan. I'm from Nebraska. And if you're not from Nebraska, it's hard to understand because we got cornfields and we got Nebraska football, okay? And so pretty much, you know, we're, we're really, really big fans, Okay. In 1997, Nebraska went undefeated. It was part of a series of teams in the 90s that Nebraska was very, very dominant. But we had to share the national title with the Michigan Wolverines. Now, if there's not some irony about me moving to Michigan here in a little bit, if there's not some irony there, I don't know what is. But we had to share the title because this was back in the day before two teams, before the playoff system in foot, college football, where they would take the two best four teams and they'd put them into this NFL play, or the, this playoff system and they'd go through and the best two would face each other. So it was back in the day when teams would share a national title. There wasn't one team that would stand out. And that bothers me. 
Okay? That bothers me even still to this day. And I will get in arguments with people who want to argue that Michigan was better than Nebraska that year. Well, today's a great day because guess what? You've got this wonderful playoff system where two teams have worked their way through the playoffs to play each other. And most people would actually argue this year that the two best teams are in the Super Bowl this year about ready to play each other. And after today, nobody's going to sit there and say, you know, uh, the Packers had a great game today. Well, the Packers didn't make it. Sorry, Rob. Sorry. You know, and, and the Denver Broncos... Not even the Denver Broncos. Nobody's going to sit there and say, Von Miller had a great defensive play today because Von Miller's at the house. Right? It's, it's the Niners versus the Chiefs. It's these two, two biggest, go Chiefs, yeah. I, I, all the Seahawks fans, I know where you're going, right? There's these two best teams that are going to play each other today. And no one's going to sit there and say a third thing. We're going to look at the church in Smyrna today. Two authorities, two spiritual authorities are going to be revealed in this passage. It is the first mention of these two authorities that will continue and will create this great storyline for the book of Revelation. And let's dive into the text to begin to look at these two Spiritual authorities that are spoken of here in the book of Revelation. But before we do that, I want to give you a little backstory on Smyrna. Because it's, it's significant that Smyrna is written to in this text. It's the second church. Last week we talked about Ephesus. Well, if you were to travel to Asia Minor and look at the, the site where Ephesus would have been um, built upon, it's basically a ghost town. It's, it's a ruin today. But if you were to go to where Smyrna was, it is the second most prominent town in Turkey, Izmir. Which is an interesting statement because what did Jesus threaten the church in Ephesus? He would remove their lampstand. Now, I don't know what took place. But the current state of the church should speak to us. It's non-existent there. And it should serve as a warning to us. Before we dive into this morning too, I want to go back. I've got some great elders that, that call me on some things. And I got called on some things this week. Not that was spoken, but just bad or, or wrong, but just needed clarification. The first one that I want to say is regarding our adult Sunday school class immediately following this. If you... If you have a desire to go that, I was joking around last week um, about that class that they correct me in there and get it right there. That was a total joke. It was not meant to be demeaning in whatsoever in any regard. John and I love each other. Dwight and I love each other. These are men that I have great respect and reverence for. And they're, they're part of my elder team. And, and I get to be part of their lives and they're part of mine. And so absolutely not. They are doing a great job of really trying to take the word what we're doing here in this time and applying it to their lives. So it would be of great benefit for you to go to that. The second thing that I would like to talk to you about is last week when I was talking about that there 
is this road of this Christian road that we travel down. And there's the right ditch and there's the left ditch. And in regards to the church in Ephesus, there was this warning to them that they needed to be a light. And if they're not a light, that he's going to take away the lampstand and remove their ability to be a light for him and basically break up and divide this church. And I said, on the right side of this road would be what some would consider conservatism, conservative Christianity. And I meant that from this statement of this. Those who are extreme legalists in the word and people who sit there and say, we've got it all figured out and we are right and everybody else is wrong would consider themselves the ultimate conservatives. Okay? I want to warn us as a church. Labels are as good as the person who's talking about them and understanding, clearly communicating them. I am a liberal to some. If you go to talk to somebody at Westboro Baptist Church, I would be a liberal. Okay? These are the guys that are picketing veterans' funerals. Okay? What good is that label? Okay? And so when I picked on that label a little bit, I want us to be clear. Let's talk about being people of the Word of God. Let's talk about being followers of Jesus Christ and let's leave words like conservatism and liberalism and some of those things to the politicians. But let's be people of God who pursue Jesus Christ. Does that make us conservative? It does. Does that slap the conservative label on us? To some yes, to some no. Okay? And so I want to clarify that. The other thing I want to clarify, I said that you can't know God apart from his word. Now there's a general revelation of God spoken of in Romans chapter 1 where God has revealed himself into creation, but you cannot intimately know God and grow in a deep relationship with God apart from the word of God. And I stand upon that statement. You can't sit here and we can't say we love Jesus and we know Jesus if we're not in his word. Okay? So I want us to be very clear on that. All right. Last week all cleared up great. I didn't receive any other texts or emails, so good. No, and that's okay, because I want to be super clear. Brothers and sisters, I want to be super clear when it comes to the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God, so I really appreciate it. So Smyrna is a coastal city of great wealth, some 40 miles north of Ephesus. It is an old city that was founded about 1200 BC, 1200 years before the birth of Christ. There is evidence that first century Jewish settlements in Asia Minor Asia Minor had compromised their pure monotheism in certain of the synagogues of these Greek Roman cities and had imported into their worship the worship of Zeus. In addition, Smyrna was noted as a strong center of emperor worship. Now, you remember what the Jews said at the trial of Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. And here is Smyrna, who is a very well-known and established place for emperor worship. And what's very interesting about Smyrna, if you would have been from the coast looking up onto the hillside there at Smyrna, it would have had what that looks kind of like a crown on the top of the hill in Smyrna. And that crown was referred to is the crown of Smyrna. Which is going to be very interesting because as we study this text, another crown is going to be mentioned. 
So this was the crown of Smyrna. This place was very well known for its emperor worship. It had um, also 19, excuse me, in 195 BC, a temple to the goddess of Rome was constructed. And in AD 26, a temple to Tiberius was also constructed. These and other temples were built on an acropolis, which produced a very dramatic visual effect and was popularly described by the phrase, the crown of Smyrna. A place where emperor worship abounds. A place where polytheism, which is the worship of many gods, abounds. And in this metropolis is a tiny group of believers who are saying there is only one God, and it's not the emperor. There's only one God, it's not Zeus. There's only one true God, and that is Jesus Christ. This church is going to be described a little bit differently as this church is not going to be praised for doing something really well, nor are they going to get dinged for doing something very badly. This letter to this church is what we call a prophetic letter. It is a warning of something to come. It is a cautionary note for the future of the church in Smyrna. So if you've got the Bible open, turn to Rome, excuse me, Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8. An angel to the assembly in Smyrna write this. This is the solemn pronouncement of the first and the last, who was dead but came back to life. I know your tribulations and poverty, but you are rich and the slander from those calling themselves Jews but are not but are of the synagogue of Satan two spiritual authorities the first one is revealed in the pronouncement of this letter Jesus is writing through this angel through this messenger to the church in Smyrna and this is a solemn pronouncement, and he reveals himself as this. And I want you to get in the habit of when you're studying the Word of God, when you're studying passages, to asking yourself, who is God? Because this is extremely important how Jesus is revealing himself in this text to this church. It's so important that later on it's going to invoke him to say, fear not. And the reason he can say, fear not, is because how he has revealed himself in this text. He says, I am the first and the last. He is the eternal God. You guys, they practice emperor worship there. But guess what? These emperors keep changing, don't they? This one rises up, dies. This one rises up, gets killed by his wife, gets killed by his brother, gets killed. It's just a nasty cycle of all these different emperors and the weird, crazy, horrific, evil stuff that they did. They would rise up and they'd fall. What is Jesus saying? I am the first and I am the last. I am the great king. I am the eternal king, the eternal God. The next thing he says about himself is, I was dead, but now alive. 
All authority is in Jesus Christ. Sin and death has no authority over Jesus Christ. He was dead, but now he's alive and he shall never die again. He is resurrected to life and life eternal for Jesus Christ is our Lord, our God, and our Savior. And he's saying, I have conquered sin and death. I am the eternal God who always was, and I am also the God who conquered sin and death. I am God. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you're at this morning with Jesus, but if you're not a child of God, that doesn't bring you much hope. But if you are a child of God this morning, you're able to say amen. Amen. That's my God. That's my King. That's my Lord. And he's giving such great encouragement and hope to the church by revealing himself. But he's not just this distant, far-off God who is eternal and who's existed, who died and is alive and he's now reigning in heaven. He is this personal, intimate, close God. He says to them, I know your tribulations and your poverty. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says this, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. How many of y'all, when you read scriptures, read about Jesus having a house? Land? Possessions? What he tells disciples, like, you come and follow me, and guess what? You're not going to have a place to lay your head. You see, yes, Jesus emptied himself. And in Philippians, we talk about this kenosis passage where Jesus, he set aside his glory and his power. Now, when I say set aside, he didn't give them up. You just didn't see his full glory, his full splendor. He was always fully God, fully man. Don't miss that. Always fully God, fully man. And he came down and he became man. And he walked amongst his creation. And guess what? He didn't go establish for himself a nice big house and and fancy furniture. And he didn't have fancy feasts. Why? Because nothing in this world could ever compare to his heavenly home. Where according to the scriptures, the streets are paved with gold. And there's there's this crystal-like thing around the throne of God, which is like a sea. I mean, it's amazing and it's glorious and it's beyond anything we can imagine. But he chose and he became and he was poor. He knew poverty. He knew poverty like none of us in this room, I guarantee, know poverty. Maybe a few. He was intimate with suffering and tribulation. He's not this distant, far-off God, but he's the God of Hebrews 4 who sympathizes with us even in our weaknesses, yet without sin. This is Jesus. This is how he is revealing himself to the church in Smyrna. But there's a second authority mentioned in this passage. He says here, but you are rich. 
and he's speaking to them about the treasure they have in Jesus Christ. And the slander from those calling themselves Jews are not good, not true, but are not, excuse me, but more are of the synagogue of Satan. I want to be really clear this morning. The scriptures make it very, 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 very crystal clear to us. There are two spiritual authorities. There is Jesus Christ, our triune God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And then there's the evil one. And the tools at the evil one's disposal are this world. This world is in a fallen state. Also, the spiritual forces that he has at his disposal, demons, and our own flesh, for we were all born sinners apart from God. And we battle against these things. But when it comes to worship, you are either worshiping Christ or you're worshiping at the synagogue of Satan. I don't like that. I want to soften that this morning for you. I want to soften that for me. Because I don't know to say that man's like, whoa, that's pretty extreme, Scott. You're saying I'm either worshiping Jesus or I'm worshiping Satan. Well, to worship your flesh is to worship Satan. To worship the world is to worship Satan. It's to worship the evil one and everything that he stands for. It is stealing worship from God. And so there's, there's two spiritual authorities here, and there's no fine line to walk. You're either worship, we are either worshiping Jesus and his kingdom and his power and his glory and his might, or we're worshiping at the house of Satan. Now, I don't like that. I wish I could soften that, but according to this text, we can't. He is saying, like, to the church in Smyrna, guess what? There is this great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who desires your worship. And then there are those over here that are worshiping at the house of Satan. And he's going to talk to his church, this church in Smyrna. And he's going to talk about a period of testing they're going to face to reveal who they're worshiping. If we look here, at the continuing on in verse 10, he says, do not be afraid of the things about which you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto the death and I will give you the crown of life. We need to start with those opening words. Do not be afraid. Amen. Why should we not be afraid? We need to go back. We need to look at this again. This is the solemn pronouncement of the first and the last who was dead but came to life. I know your tribulations and your poverty. Jesus Christ is writing to them to encourage their hearts before they head into this extreme time of tribulation. 
they don't have to be afraid of what is to come. They don't have to be afraid of the devil. Why? We live in a world that's made movies about Satan, trying to demonstrate how powerful he is and how he can trip up God and how he's greater than God. Brothers and sisters, I'm not going to dive into the history of Satan this morning. That's coming in the text. We'll talk about that later. But I think you need to understand he is a fallen angel. God made the angels. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He is not omnipotent. Omniscient being it's not all-knowing. Omnipresent doesn't mean he's everywhere at all times. I'm tired of hearing Christians talking as if the Satan is here in, in Africa as well as here. That's not who he is. He is an angel defined by time and by space. There's only one who's omnipresent, and that is God. So we got to stop giving him credit that he don't, he don't deserve. Amen. These Christians were about ready to be persecuted and tribulated to the point of death. And God is telling him, you don't need to be afraid because the great I am is with you. Amen. He is finite being. His power is limited by God. Our God has all authority. That is why he can tell the church in Smyrna, don't be afraid. Don't. Because the devil, he may take your life, but he can never take your soul. For those that are in Christ Jesus, we are secure. He says, he talks about the crown of life with these individuals. But I want you to hear something. Jesus does not promise the church in Smyrna they're going to be okay in regards to their physical state. I want that to sink in for a little bit. This morning, I wish I could tell you, it's this warm and fuzzy sermon that, you know, it's all about, you know, angels playing harps on white clouds, but that's not this sermon, and that's not this text. He is writing to a church that is about ready to go to the persecution, and some members of that church are not going to survive in this physical life. They will die. But Jesus says, you need not be afraid because there's something way worse than physical death. And that's not receiving the crown of life. I love how poignant this message is to the, for the city of Smyrna, the church in Smyrna. There's this thing called the crown of Smyrna that would have been made up of all these places of idolatry and false worship. And Jesus is saying, that's not the crown you want. Those emperors are going to come and go. This empire is going to come and go. This world is going to see an end. All those tabernacles are going to be destroyed. But there's something that you can receive that will never be taken from you. And that is the crown of life. And we don't have to be afraid. 
what a comforting and a wonderful message to the church in Smyrna. But we live in a day and age, brothers and sisters, where we're all about protecting our lives. And, and we're somehow like, if it's not safe, God never intended us to do it. You know, I got to talk to my spiritual mentor this week, Doug Dirksen. Doug came and visited a while back, a couple years back. Doug has been journeying with me a lot of years. Um, Doug had his daughter commit suicide in Iraq. Doug had his other daughter when she was in junior high called child services on our, and report that he was molested her and all of it was a lie. And he was a chaplain in the army. So he had to go undergo investigation. Doug had his wife die of cancer and lupus. And after Doug came and visited us, he went back home and he, he goes, Scott, after visiting you guys, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, your life is not over. You still have breath and you still have life and I still have a mission for you. And I talked to a God through some crazy circumstances now. He is in the Philippines ministering to children who are involved in the sex industry. 61 years old. Just up and said, God, I'm going to follow you. And yeah, he got married. <laughs> Again, God blessed him with another wife. And this is so powerful. And another daughter. that he is in the process of adopting right now. It's not safe for Doug to go. His comfort, everything. He's got grandkids in, in clean Texas, and he's got, he had a nice house in clean Texas, and he had nice possessions in clean Texas. Everything was, was there. He could have just, just wrote it out. But it's not about safety. It's not about comfort. God, Doug's saying, you know what? I want to go pursue God. God, you've given me life, and I want to give that life back to you. And I don't need to be afraid because you are my God, the God eternal, the God who was once dead and isn't alive forevermore. You see, our lives are not for ourselves, but are meant for God. And I know there are people in this church body who have, man, I'm just so privileged to call brothers and sisters in Christ, people that have loved on and adopted kids that a lot of people wouldn't want or be fearful to bring into their home. We have people in this body of believers who have sacrificed greatly for the ministry of God and given their lives to it and won't stop and who've made the statement the only way you're gonna stop me from serving Jesus is for Jesus just to take me home and I'm so excited because I know what's in their future it's the crown of life and these people worship Jesus Christ 
We go on in this next portion of this text. And but before we do there, this idea of testing, the word that's used there for testing, it comes with a meaning and definition to reveal the true character or nature of something. You see, God was going to take the church in Smyrna, who was already suffering, was isolated, was poor, and he's going to take them through this period of time so that we could reveal what is truly their nature, their character, that they are children of God. What was the purpose of the churches, the letters to the churches? We go back to understand that they were to be golden lampstands, that they were to be glorifying God by bringing light to the world. Jesus is going to take the church in Smyrna through a time of trial and testing to reveal their golden lampstands, to reveal that they're glorifying God and being lights to the church in Smyrna. So he could put his glory on display for Smyrna to see. You see, it was for Smyrna's benefit. It was for the church's benefit. It was for the glory of God that they might endure this season of testing. But we don't know that kind of testing. So let's not be shallow and let's not think about that our our neighbor not liking us or cussing at us even compares to this kind of suffering. So let's not do that. Let's not diminish what truly they were suffering through. But what's very fascinating to me is that in this next portion, in verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. He doesn't say church singular. You see, when we study the Word of God, we need to study it carefully. He is literally saying, listen up. If you've got a clue, you'll get that this is a benefit for you as well to all the churches. Why? Okay, so does that mean all the churches were going to go through this period of testing and and suffering like this? I don't think so. But there's, there's, there's a word here. There's an understanding here from God to all the churches that they need to hear. And I think the word is this morning when we were studying this as, as a preaching team, it became very clear to us that, the, that God is trying to communicate to us that we are all going to go through times where in which the evil of this world is going to come to bear upon our lives. And at those moments when the evil of the world is coming to bear upon our lives, who will we worship? But the great news, and I want to proceed with the great news before I go backwards again. The great news is that we get to be conquerors. Now, it, it, how many served in the military? Just raise your hands. Okay. A few of us have served in the military, right? Well, do you win a war? Okay, when you, when you have got a war going on, there's several battles that take place in a war, right? Do you win every battle? No. You're going to lose some battles. But the goal is to win the war, right? Right? The goal is to receive the crown of life. Guess what? We're going to enter into times with this world and the evil of this world, the evil forces, our flesh are going to engage us and we're going to lose that day. But a conqueror, 
The one who receives the crown of life says, guess what? I'm not staying down. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to confess that I gave in to temptation. I gave in to the lies. I gave in to my flesh and my fleshly desires. And I'm going to confess that and bring that before God because I want God to redeem my life, all of my life, so that I may receive the crown of life because I want to be a conqueror. And I know my military side's coming back out again. You're like, eight years, you still hanging on to that? But listen, I want to be a conqueror. I want to be a fighter. And I think you do too. No matter what age you are in this room, you have breath in your lungs that God has given you to engage the evils of this world, to engage our flesh, and to win the day for him so that at the end of life, that crown of life that we receive It'll be glorious. And the only way we can be conquerors is not by might and not by power, but completely by Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross for us. That's the only way we can be conquerors. Jesus saying, I was once dead, but now I'm alive, is pointing to that. hit it over and over again, but as Christians, we should be so quick to repent and confess where we have failed to worship God. And I think one of the reasons we fail to confess is because we fail to see sin for what it is. According to the first part of this text, I believe it is telling us to sin against the one and true God is to worship at the altar of the Satan. To sin is to rebel against God. God forgives us our sin. And you're like, Scott, that language is too strong. I don't like it. We're supposed to loathe sin. We're supposed to hate it. When we fail to live up to what God's standard is for us, we're supposed to hate that. And we're supposed to want to confess it. And Lord, Lord, I want to, I want to get right with you and I want to walk with you. Amen. And I know that that song, some people are like, hey, we sang right before the sermon about fear. I am no longer a slave to fear. And there's a lot of other sins, people tell me. But let me tell you what, sin is a, fear is a huge motivator Amen. for sin. We're afraid that our life won't be what it is. we want it to be. And so we sin and we enter into sin by, by creating our own kingdom. We fear what other people will think of us. And so we, we soften that we're Christians and we, 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 we enter into a little bit, well, I'm going to sin a little bit so that, that people will accept me. Fear drives us and motivates us into a lot of places we don't want to be. A fear to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong, so I refuse to repent. And I refuse to have Christ's victory in my life. Well, guess what? By refusing to have Christ have victory in my life, who do we want to have victory? According to scriptures, it's either we're worshiping God or we're worshiping the evil one at his altar. Church, let's stop. Let's understand for what it is and understand, yes, we are in a fight and understanding that we will lose some days, but a conqueror 
learns from his experience, wants God to redeem his life, and so that the next day that doesn't get him again or her again, and that we can have victory. He's telling the church in Smyrna, don't be afraid because your God is the great true God and not even death can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Not even death. So what are we worshiping? When we face sickness, whether it be ours whether it be somebody else's, do we respond with fear? Or do we look to God in hope? When we face death, death of a loved one, death of something dear to us, how do we respond? Do we look for, for God to rule and reign in those moments? To heal our hearts? Or do we self-soothe with something else? I'm going to go have an extra beard. I'm going to go out and hang out with some friends that I shouldn't hang out with. I'm going to seek acceptance over here to, to soothe this wound over here. Or do we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm hurting. I'm going through Keller's devotional book on the songs of Jesus right now. It's all about the Psalms. And I encourage you to make the Psalms, reading in the Psalms, a regular habit. Because in the Psalms we discover David and, and other psalmists really blame blunt and blatant conversations with God. But they're conversing with God. And they're continuing to lean into him. What about when we lose a job or we don't get a job or a promotion that we think we deserve? Do we immediately start bad-mouthing our bosses or do we immediately start saying how we were wronged and how it's not just and how it's not fair? Or do we turn to God and say, God, you're in this. Because this wouldn't happen to me if you weren't in this. So lead and guide my heart so that I might understand this from your perspective. When we lose a friendship, when we suffer abuse and neglect, when the sinful state of this world metaphorically takes a two by four and starts beating us about the head, face, and neck, how do we respond It's not going to be perfect. We are not going to perfectly respond the way we're supposed to. But God has given us through Jesus Christ the ability to seek forgiveness and repent of the way we responded. But we can't, in order to do that, we have to repent. I go back to John's position in Revelation 1. When John sees himself and understand himself in the light of how Jesus has revealed himself, where does he end up, church? Where? On his face, as dead. And in that position, from this prostrate, broken down position, what does Jesus do? He touches him, 
He comforts him and he tells him, don't be afraid. Brothers and sisters, if we want God to comfort our hearts about the loss of a job, then we respond by looking at Jesus. And if we've responded wrongly, we confess that to Jesus so he can comfort our hearts. But we don't get to receive the comfort of God if we continue to push back in pride and rebellion saying, but it ain't right. And I'm guilty of it as much as anyone else. That's why the messenger to the church in Smyrna can write, he who has an ear, let them hear. And it to be for all the churches, Amen. including us. Amen. Who are we worshiping? Father God, thank you. for reminding us that we live in a fallen world and that the evil one's desire, the evil one's goal is to destroy all those who are children of God. To see us sidelined, to see us give up and quit, to see us marginalized, to see us say, you know what, sin really isn't that bad, and to call sin good. When Jesus' life was taken and his blood was poured out for that sin, it is horrific, it is gross, and it's disgusting. And Lord God, I pray that we would see sin for what it is. Please, God, let remove the blinders from our eyes. If, if we've listened to the voice of our flesh, which says, but you deserve that. If we've, if we've listened to the world and the world saying, but that's what success looks like, go take that. If, we, if we've listened to the deceiver and his lies and his manipulation that says, God really isn't that good. Lord God, may we be convicted of that this morning and the Holy Spirit move in us. Please convict our hearts. For Jesus Christ is the one who died, but now is alive. And we can have freedom for we are not slaves to sin. We're not slaves to fear. We're not slaves to the evil one. We're not slaves to this world. And we're definitely not slaves to our flesh. For we have been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the one who is, the one who was, and the one who will come. Um, Oh, this is our God story time. Um, where we share about um, how God has been the hero of our week. And, and maybe this morning, if, if God's laying it on your heart to share, like maybe there's something that God has struck you with in a place where God has convicted your heart, um, where you're worshiping something you shouldn't have been worshiping. And you confess that this morning. And let me tell you what, that's a great thing to celebrate. Um, I know our, 
our life group two weeks ago, we prayed through Acts, which is adoration and confession, and it was the sweetest thing in the world to hear people in our group um, confessing to God and to each other things that they've been struggling with and disobedience they've had in their life. And it's powerful. It's powerful. So who's going to start us off this morning? So a couple weeks ago, um, I, my husband was out of town and I was really struggling. I didn't know where to go or who to turn to. So I called a friend up and he said, you need to get into the Bible. Well, um, I didn't know where to go to. And um, so I went to Scott and I asked him and he, he really helped me. He, through God, he helped me go through the word. and. That Saturday, I, I read four books. Mm. And then on Sunday, he asked me one question. And I'm like, why haven't I done this? He asked me, have you reached out to your life group? And I said, no. So that Sunday, I went and talked to my life group. And praise God, they helped me through it. I want to thank every one of them for helping me get through that time. Thank you. Amen. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Scott for his um, blessing from God to, on how to preach the word. Um, today... Last week was a little tough. I don't know if it was just where I was or um, what, but today was so powerful. And so I thank you for the blessing that you're given to demonstrate that to us. Um, with that, you know, I know that my life has been full of sin and it's been a struggle. And um, I feel like God has blessed me so immensely with not only my children, but especially over the last three years. Um, my friend and I went to Wenatchee yesterday, and all we spoke of was God and how he has, you know, when you're feeling distant or you're feeling like there's a problem, he's always there. And um, back in 2005, when I was going through some stuff, um, I didn't really turn to him, but it, I knew he was always with me. Um, and again, you know, just this last three years, I just feel like he is my best friend, and he's always with me. And my kids have seen it. Um, and like I said, even my friend that I went to Wenatchee with yesterday, her daughter, that's what they've been talking about amongst themselves, that the one thing they miss is being that close to God. Um, and they were watching a movie. Um, oh, I can't remember what it was called now. But anyway, they were watching the movie. The kids were all the way down and back. And it was just, it was all about heaven and believing. And even when you're feeling like he's not there, he is always there with you. Amen. So. Amen. Good. Thank you, Guy, I have something. I know our pastor is great, you guys. But I would like to tell you what a wonderful mate he has in Christy. 
The other night up at Heritage, she's quite a star up there. I had to tell her to go home and do dinner. But she came up to see one of our residents, and we'd all been down because somebody had to go to the hospital, and here she come. Linda Tate said, that's pastor's wife. I said, yes, it is. So she came over, Linda Tate ran and hugged her. She came over and hugged me and little Linda. And lo and behold, Rick says, you better get over here and talk to me. And Eileen Brown got her. Christy is an awesome example of God's love, Scott. And it did my heart so much good to hear all the residents in that dining room talking about Christy and what a wonderful life she has given to them from all her help. So I want to tell you, we have a wonderful pastor, and his wife is pretty neat herself. (laughs) Amen to that. Hello, um, I'm Dave Epperson. I work with Young Life here. Uh, I just want, I haven't been, I haven't updated you guys in a long time. I've been all all over the place, but... uh, um, I just want to update you guys that uh, we have Young Life Club starting tomorrow. Um, it's our first Young Life Club, so if you'd like, um, if you'd like a thing to pray for, that's that's the thing. Um, set an alarm for seven twenty-seven tomorrow night and uh, say a prayer for us. Um, so that's starting. We had um, a bunch of teenagers in our house uh, yes or Friday night, and it was this little glimpse of what club can be and what it will be and it was just excellent um uh so that that's just yeah god is moving in uh chelan high school um god's moving in chelan middle school we have a bunch of uh middle school students going to wildlife club and we have a couple of campaigners groups which is like a smaller discipleship group um but yeah we have a bunch of middle schools coming uh, some of them are here if you want to say hello to them um so yeah, I just want to uh, I just want to say God is God is definitely moving in the youths uh, here in the valley, and uh, yeah. So there you go.